0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, as always, Kerry Parker, and we've got part two of our interview with Chris Schaffer. He is the author of a book called Data Versus Democracy. And uh, certainly, if you have not heard the first part of this, you want to go back and check that out for sure uh, before you get into part two. But we had a really interesting discussion going, and we were just kind of, you know, we were talking about how there's so much data today and how, you know, the information age was supposed to be about You know, how much, how valuable this information is and data is the new oil, uh, you know, as they like to say. But, you know, in reality, what we're really faced with today is an intention-based economy. Uh, That is, you know, it's all about can we get your attention because there's so many things vying for our attention these days and the advertisers know it. And they're all trying to pull out the stops to do something different, something unique, some new way. Uh, making us, you know, making our eyeballs drawn to their ad over somebody else's ad and suck us in to make us click and see what's going on. So, uh, you know, and they're kind of using human nature. So we talked a little bit about that, you know, in a more slightly more benign way about, you know, what what this stuff was used for. And now we're going to kind of get into the manipulation aspect of this, how how some groups, including uh, Russia in the 2016 election and the Brexit vote, used some of these techniques are uh, human, you know, innate reactions and, and evolutionary traits that make us pay attention to some things and not other, others and, 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 and things that make us more emotional and make us more likely to continue to follow something, anger and fear and those kind of emotions and, you know, how these things were actually used in a lot of ways to manipulate us and what we can do about that. And I'll also ask Chris, you know, if we can, you know, with all this amazing new technology, if we can't, you know, somehow use this same technology for good, if we can't, you know, turn these things around and use some of these same technologies, the the AI, the artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and all these things and use it to our benefit as well. And maybe you know, use some of the same technology to counter, counteract some of these, uh, these efforts. So really, really fascinating interview. So that's coming up here in just a second. And then next week, uh, next week, we got a, I've got a big show coming for you next week. There's a lot of news to catch up on. And uh, because it's that season, and actually, I I almost kind of wish I could have done it this week. But um, before the big Black Friday and Cyber Monday shopping, there's a huge shopping weekend coming up. But you can always go to my website now. You can go to FirewallsDon'tStopDragons.com. Uh, And you can see my best and worst gift list idea for 2019. I update that every year, Uh, but I'm going to be kind of going through that on the show too. So uh, we're going to talk about that next week as well. So there's a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, If you've been paying attention to the news at all, there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Google bought Fitbit for like $2 billion, uh, including all that, you know, juicy data that came with that. So there's a lot of people worried about privacy there. Uh, Also Google has just been, I don't know, exposed is the right word, but it's come to light that Google has been partnering with a lot of medical data folks and somehow through partnerships bypassed HIPAA regulations, as far as I'm concerned, uh, to get access to a lot of medical data, uh, hopefully anonymized. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of that next week as well. Uh, there's a big win for privacy at the U.S. border, which we've talked about several times on the show. Uh, that's, a, This is an important ruling. We'll talk about that and much, much more. There's a lot of stuff been going on. So anyway, got a big show coming up for you next week. But now, let's get back to our interview with Chris Schaffer, the author of Data vs. Democracy, and let's get into part two. So now let's get to the more darker part of this, and maybe get closer to what you what, you, what you're covering in your book, and that is so we've yeah. we've got so we just talk about the happy stuff, so far. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. This is all the good part. This is the good part. Now we're getting to the bad part. Let's go there. <laughs> you know. Okay. So you know now that now that we understand, you know, the maybe the benign and unintended consequences from some of these things. Now, what the, how about the intended consequences? What? How is this being used to shape our political and social views?
1: Yeah. So I mean. It, in some sense, we've been doing all this for a long time. We just now have a, a scale mm-hmm. and an acceleration that we haven't seen before. Right. And Propaganda's it's really been around to forever. With. Right, yeah. but uh, As long as there's been information, there's been disinformation and, and misinformation. And and as long as we've had any kind of media, like there's been ad- advertising, if there's advertising, I, I mean, so <laughs> the, uh, the, the spouse of an advertising exec that I, I once worked for said, if you need it, and you can afford it, you already have it, or are making plans to get it. The <laughs> so a- advertisement only is necessary if you don't need it or can't afford it. Um, <laughs> a- a- an oversimplification, but oh, yeah. definitely something to it, right? You know, oh, yeah. and like, oh, but I want this. But did you want it before you saw it? Well, I didn't know it existed. Well, if you didn't know it existed, you definitely don't need it. <laughs> and and so like that that kind of framework. Like we've been doing this for a long time. And so when I was you know first studying. Cognitive science in, in college and grad school, the uh, a lot of the case studies were from advertising, and it was it was print advertising, TV, radio spots. Like how far apart do you time these advertisements? You know, do you spend a million dollars on one Super Bowl ad or on, you know, uh, a few thousand well placed TV and radio and, and newspaper spots throughout a particular market? Do you focus on one market or or spread it wide? And like these are things we've been. Dealing with for a long time. And of course, targeted marketing has been around like, oh, if I want to get, you know, like men between the ages of 20 and 40, I might advertise at a, you know, a, a basketball game. And, right. if, but if I want older, maybe baseball or, you know, and if, if I want to get both genders together, but definitely people who are interested in, in um, sports still, like maybe, you know, the Olympics or, you know, and I'm again, like, as I'm saying this, I feel really uncomfortable with these generalizations I'm making, but these are the generalizations that were made. All right. Or <laughs> two to target I mean, advertising. Like they'd assumed, oh, if you're this age and this race and this income level and this this gender, then you're gonna be interested in these things. So we're gonna advertise during that.
0: But these were demographics-based things, right? So these, these back, back in the day, it was like, okay, so this is targeted toward men, so fine, let's put it in a Playboy magazine. This is targeted t- toward women, let's put it in good housekeeping or, or or on the daily talk shows or whatever that, you know, because women did tend to be home more back in the day. But now, you know, instead of us watching the ads and these
1: things you know, being demographics-based, the ads are watching us, right, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah, and, and so they can do a couple things that they couldn't before. I mean, one, they could get a lot more precise. Um, and this is something where Facebook has had to like take away some of these things. Like, like you uh, could at one point target people by race. Mm-hmm. You could target individuals, you know, and the, like people who. Are, is the story of a college student who bought a Facebook ad that only his roommate would see, saying like, "Dude, <laughs> put, you know, like you, you can't do that anymore because obviously that led to some <laughs> less less comical and, and mm-hmm. more insidious uh, applications." But you can target much more finely. And also you could see the generalizations being made in the advertisements You know, 20, 30 years ago. like You could see the difference between the, the ads during a baseball game and the ads during figure skating and the ads during the news um, and the ads during cartoons. And you, you can't see that if what you see is quote-unquote individualized or if um, the cluster of people you have been assigned by the algorithm doesn't include anyone you know that that's really mm. what individualization is you're, you're being treated the same as a few hundred or thousand or sometimes even million other people you just don't know them or you mm. don't see what they see so there's a lack of transparency so we can't critique it in the same way um this is a point that's been brought up about things like the 2016 u.s election the brexit vote where people were violating laws but no one knew except mm. maybe facebook um, <laughs> if they were looking if they were looking right right, right. and um because the regulators couldn't see into it and so if the platform wasn't volunteering that information or looking themselves and they weren't necessarily trained to look for it they weren't charged with looking for it they weren't legally required to right no one had both the charge and the ability to regulate that issue right and and we're still wrestling with that problem oh, now yeah. right because as as we're looking at how how the ads watch us right how how political advertising is used in in manipulative ways it's really hard to to actually regulate that issue without performing illegal and what we would consider unacceptable surveillance of people who have not committed any crime or been suspected of any crime, mm. right? That's that's really one of the fundamental problems that um, Western democracies have dealing with this problem is that um, you know these these platforms have taken away some of the nice rigid barriers between advertising and post content mm. between media organizations, political organizations and regular people anybody can buy an ad and an ad is basically a sponsored post and the best influence operations don't use ads they use posts mm. from inauthentic accounts but what's the difference between an authentic account and an anonymous account an anonymous account with with an agenda but anonymous for a good reason versus a bad reason like we, we would have to parse all of those things. Or we would have to surveil everyone. Hmm. And neither of those are acceptable. Right. Um, right, or or even possible. And that puts us at risk of a whole lot of things that we're not ready to deal with. Partly because as individuals, we can't have access to all the information we need to to deal with the problem, let alone the fact that we're talking about the platforms that we use when we are working <laughs> The least at like our critical thinking. Like this is when we're relaxing, Mm -hmm. right? We're we're watching Netflix while scrolling through social media on our phone at the same time as having a drink. You know, like we're doing all these things together. You know, our guard is down. Yeah, yeah. We're in bed. You know, just looking at stuff before we fall asleep. We are not. You know, like at the library with with our notebook and our highlighter. Right. Yeah. Ready to think really carefully about this, study for that test or whatever. We're just yeah, whatever. And that's when we're at our most vulnerable that's when we're the, the most manipulable and those are the platforms where it's the hardest for, for anyone to really get a good look at what's going on.
0: So obviously, you know, Cambridge Analytica in the 2016 election was a, was a big case study in this. Um, but and, and, you know and you obviously you wrote and uh, helped write a massive report on this for the Senate so it's you know but in twenty five words or less no uh but you know if we <laughs> can, if we, just briefly kind of you know given what we've already talked about now and how how this influence stuff works kind of at a high level what do we think happened in twenty sixteen how how were we how were external forces trying to manipulate us and then maybe Brexit as well because I think they were similar
1: yeah so um start with like some some public facts the internet research agency what, what we wrote a report on that um, was kind of the big story about the 2016 election in terms of russian influence on the u.s was uh, according to some who study this a minority of the activity of, of russia which was far and away a minority of the act, uh, the manipulative activity around the election hmm. Yeah, you know, there's also the the Russian military intelligence hacks of the DNC and the Clinton campaign and then the dumps of those via WikiLeaks and the Guccifer blog and things like that. There's there's a lot of things that came out of there plus all kinds of things we don't know about mm-hmm. um, and things that some people know about that they're not allowed to tell us about. And and then there's all the other countries and then there's all the political organizations in the US and the individuals and the trolls and the meme mm-hmm. wars, right? There's so much that happened. But effectively what happened, I, I think the, uh, the, the best, simplest way to characterize this is if you know how to manipulate an algorithm to the point where you can build yourself a ready-made audience and you know what kinds of content you can produce that they'll actually see and engage with and share, you can turn a many-to-many social network into a one-to-many broadcast medium. Hmm. And once you've done that, you can then use all of the historical tools and experiences at your disposal when it comes to state-run media propaganda manipulative targeted advertising but at a scale and um, a level of detection or, or non-detection that you could only dream of in the 30s or the 50s yeah. uh, right and that I, I think if I were to sum it up in a in a tweet it would be that <laughs> you, know, you if you master the algorithm, it becomes a one-to-many broadcast medium. And that really that, – that characterizes a lot of what um, Cambridge Analytica and, and Russia and um, a lot of uh, p- domestic political groups in the U.S. did in terms of figuring out who their audience was, uh, building that audience. Um, most of the posts from the Internet Research Agency were not political. They were playing hashtag games on Twitter. They were uh, changing their you know, one Instagram account. I think it was the army of Jesus was originally like Simpsons, huh. games, you know, And but you, and you build up an audience with, with something. It could be silly entertainment. It could be, you know, targeted at a particular you know racial group, religious group, political group, just things that they'll find funny, amusing, meaningful. Uh, there were actually some really, I'd say in some senses like touching, like <laughs> substantive things that came out of some of these accounts. We refer to them as, as trolls or, or whatever, mm-hmm. like these manipulative accounts, like they were really grabbing at people's emotions in poignant ways in order to build an audience and to build a loyal audience that would engage in, and share these things. And I mean, you know, a lot of these operators, like they, they know what they're doing. Yeah. And once you have that audience and once they've engaged at such a level with your content, basically anything you put out will go to the top of their feed right and so if you can get them get that level of engagement with with anything it doesn't matter if the content is a different kind because you are the account that they always like and then reshare like immediately and so you're going to be at the top of the algorithmic suggestion for them and that's that's why you know the internet research agency according to the um the Mueller indictment had a budget of at least $25 million, they spent $100,000 on ads, but spent millions, they spent over a million dollars a month on people doing research. They came to the United States. They they studied these groups. They, they studied them online. They uh, were building these audiences years before the election, and they continued to ramp up with the social issues, particularly Instagram, after the election, which is one of the, like, the fascinating finds from that, playing multiple sides of the issue just to get an audience that then they could deliver the right message at the right time to knowing that they would almost certainly see it and have a really good shot at uh, reacting to it, sharing it with others and, and making decisions based on it, you know, and, and this whole like, Oh, a few Facebook ads is not going to change how someone votes. Um, we have data on, on this. I, I don't have the book in front of me. It's, it's, it's down in another room in my house, but a uh, book by uh, Kathleen Hall Jameson called cyber war she she goes through as um, a political analyst and working on these things for a long time like political scientists have been dealing with this this kind of like what influences people's behavior when it comes to voting and and we know like how many people were undecided i mean there were a lot of people unhappy mm. with both trump and clinton mm. as candidates there were people who were ripe for third party voting people who were ripe for staying at home or saying well i'm not in a swing state so i won't I won't vote in the presidential election, but then it influences downstream races or down ticket races, which then have a downstream effect on things like gerrymandering or state legislatures with all kinds of potential um, impact there if if you stay home. And of course, if we disengage in the democratic process, that's something that that anyone who is anti-democratic can use to say, look, they're not really a democratic country, like 25% (laughs) of them vote, you know, whatever They, they can say, those kinds of things. So there's 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 so many potential for impact here, and and so many things that we would dismiss, like oh that did influence me, but we've got decades of academic studies that say <laughs> otherwise. That in the aggregate, you know, you take a hundred thousand people, and this thing happens, you know, it's going to influence this percent of them, and and that can add up. And considering that the election was decided by right. you know <laughs> less than a hundred thousand people right. essentially. $25 million as just one thing yeah, in yeah. one piece of this puzzle um, could have a huge impact on it. That that um voter database at Cambridge Analytica had could have a huge impact on this. Even just the the stealing of voter information from the DNC could be used in a way that uh could be very, very powerful. Um and you add them all together, if they happen to be on the same side, man, there there things go. Now I I don't want it like I don't have a hundred percent, you know, proof that X or Y or Z was the definitive uh-huh. uh, factor, but we do know that there were multiple forces working at the same time in twenty sixteen, uh, both in the UK and in the US, and and we've seen other things elsewhere in the world. Um, you know, I cover a whole bunch of them right. in, in book France and Philippines and, and whatnot. Um, but when when we see, you know, domestic group A, domestic group B, foreign company C, foreign government D, all kind of you know doing these overlapping operations, um, that are in favor of the same side. Well, the algorithm plays another role here in in that it allows one to amplify the other, Mm. right? Because if I'm engaging with this class of content from, you know, this, this one political group, well, then when another group has a similar content, I might not know them already, but it might be suggested to me because I've engaged heavily with that kind of content Mm. elsewhere. Right. And so the IRA work might make certain right wing groups or left wing groups or racial justice groups or or blue lives matter groups appear more in my feed and and then the opposite is true um or you know go in the other direction and and that means if the content was meant to polarize us and and you know get us mad at each other or get us to just throw up our hands and say screw it everyone's i am done democracy is dead right like i've tweeted democracy is dead (sighs) You know, this a dozen times the <laughs> last few years, you know, um, you know, I, I was certainly influenced. I mean, I, I know, like I, I could say, looking back to 2016, a couple of these things that I now know mm. were purposely perpetrated by bad actors of one sort or another. Like, I know they had an impact on me wow. and, and my attitude towards the election, how I ended up voting, how, how confident I was in my choice. And, and I know that if I had been a little bit closer or a little bit further to the line, like that shift could have made a, a, a completely different difference. Right. And, and so uh, with, yeah, w- we are all vulnerable to these things and and to dismiss it as nothing. If it was nothing, we wouldn't be putting all of our eggs into these baskets, yeah, right? We wouldn't right. be using these tools if they didn't do something for us. And the idea that it would only do good and, we could easily take the good and dismiss the bad with no effort when we're laying in bed about to fall asleep, you know, yeah. after having a drink or two, mm. <laughs> um, like that's, that's hubris. Like we're, we're not all that cognitively strong, especially because we're wired for the opposite in some cases. And so like, yeah, there's. There, there's a lot of potential for some really bad stuff to happen, and I'm I'm just afraid that while well, we've made progress and we're now aware of things we weren't aware of before, we're not ready for what's coming.
0: Yeah, there's you know, a lot of people you know think about the influence campaigns They think, oh, we all you know, so they you know, how many people could they possibly get to go vote for Trump? Uh, or maybe they take the, the next level. How many people can they get to not vote for Hillary? Uh, but there's so many other ways that you can slice and dice this, right? You can you can just get some people to stay home. I mean, that's enough. If you get them frustrated enough, like you said, to just say, oh, "This is all corrupt. I don't do, I don't want either of them. I'm not going even gonna vote, or my vote doesn't matter." If you you know if you can convince some of those people that were on the fence to stay home that that you think might have been leaning one way or the other, then you've again influenced the, you know the, the election. And then finally, especially with Russia, I mean, they it is, I think that. You know they're happy if they just sow discord, right? I mean, if they just can create a little more chaos and have us question our democracy a little bit more, they come out ahead. So that, yeah, there's just yeah. so many ways.
1: Yeah, well, and and it seems that um, from from what researchers in general have have observed with Russia, it seemed like they were expecting Hillary to win, mm. and they were sowing seeds for calling right. the, validity of the election into question after. Right. Right. The election to make it harder for her to govern. feel like she had a mandate when Trump won. Well, now you have someone who's more in line with their their policy interests. But you you've also now got uh, I mean, you, you could use the whole Russia Gate thing both ways. right? You get one side upset at Russia stealing the election, saying the election's illegitimate. And you get the other side saying sour grapes, those people like who are now right. in control of the House and, and pushing this impeachment proceeding like they're just making up this boogeyman that didn't exist because right. they don't like who won. They've got to deal with the election. And and you've got both parties throwing the same issue at each other. I mean, it's it's it, it's incredible. Like what what could happen? It, I saw multiple voting. Uh, sorry, what's what's the term um, like election commissioners at different um, state and county levels talk about like the thing they were the most worried about once there started being these these pings and, and some hacks from foreign groups on uh, voter Uh, registration servers and things like there wasn't any evidence that any votes were actually changed and a lot has happened before the election. But the big thing was if people see the system as vulnerable and we don't have time to change to something that's more secure or or that we can convince them is more secure, like paper Mm -hmm. ballots, whatever, then the integrity of the election is gone because people won't trust the results, even if the results are perfect. Um, if, if people don't believe they're perfect, they're, they're not. Um, and and that's the thing about you know like we think about information and facts and you know reason discourse being the bedrock of democracy. But when it comes down to it, like how people feel about what happened, whether people trust the institution, uh, determines how much power the institution has, and that's true right. for democracies and dictatorships. And if you can get it's 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 much easier to get people to distrust the institution than to. To, to actually influence those results directly by changing the records and being undetected. It's almost easier to be detected and get people to panic. Uh, I mean, it is. It's, it's easier right. to hack, get found out, don't do anything, make people worried that something could happen than it is to actually change the results right, and not be yeah. detected. And and again, and that's only one thing, like all of these things put together, you, you get these, these fake text messages saying your polling place has changed on election day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. You know, you get um, uh, messages that are saying, oh, to to like the African American community, we've got to show Hillary that she doesn't uh, stand for us. You know, she's, she's, she's not one of us. She doesn't stand for our community's interests. So let's send her a message. And then you get the conservatives, you know, worried about immigration. And so that you got to, you know, even if you're evangelical, you believe in family values, and morality, all that stuff Trump did doesn't matter because the number one thing right now is immigration. Mm. And you've got to go out there and you've got to vote to, to keep America safe. Right, right. Uh, and, you know, and, and of course, all of these are mischaracterizations of, of the situation. But if you can get a few Republicans to go out that otherwise were thinking of staying home you can get a few liberals to stay at home that we're going to vote. Right. Um, and you get a few people who are set on voting, going to the wrong place. right? And then afterwards you get everybody to say it was a mess. We have no idea what happened. The whole election was a fraud. Right. Yeah. But, oh yeah. You know, you're, you're good. All right. So,
0: so <laughs> sorry. I, I had so many other questions that we have, we have to do a second part of this, but let's wrap up a little bit and maybe have some, some reason for hope maybe. So um, (laughs) first of all, you
1: said, let's go dark.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now we got to come back. Come back away. Come to the light. Um, So first, just from a purely technical standpoint, can we use now that we understand how this algorithm stuff works and we've got all this machine learning and AI and, and, and whatever, you know, they're creating deep fakes, but maybe we can also use them to, you know, identify deep fakes. Can we use these same technical tools to help us root out, uh, some of this manipulation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I teach like data literacy stuff to to university faculty, um, from time to time. And this is one of the big things I talk to them about when it comes to even just education algorithms, you know, like they say, Oh, well it's a black box. We don't know what's going on, so we can't really judge it. So it's really hard to, to say, you know, one way or the other and make a good decision. Like that's, that's not true. Like the very thing that we do, in data science is say, we've got an input and an output. Like what's the pattern that connects the two? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's a key thing in data science. And, and that's what we need to do to figure out what these algorithms are doing that are problematic, but also like a couple other books I want to plug that are, that are amazing. Everyone should read as, as well as mine, or honestly, even instead of mine, um, <laughs> uh, Kathy O'Neill's weapons of math destruction, math destruction, mm-hmm. and Virginia Eubanks um, automating inequality. Both of these you know, walk through this, this, um, this understanding that the the math and the data that we need to solve the problem is the same math that's that's causing the problem in a lot of mm. cases, and if we just turn it a different way, um, away from finding who we should send to prison because they are predictive of repeating their crime, instead we should use this to identify in advance who needs extra social support systems so we can better use public resources to solve mm. the problem. Like we, we can do that here too. We can say, look we can detect these influence operations, we can um, see where certain kinds of political messaging is most likely to get people in certain targeted groups to respond in certain ways, and if that is something that would constitute an ethics violation or a campaign finance violation or, or whatever, um, we, can, we can detect those beforehand, like even before the ad goes out, just by the content of the ad and who it's targeting. Right. Now, of course, the question of free speech and censorship gets mm-hmm. embroiled in that. But the right to speech is not the right to reach. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't make up that phrase. Um, <laughs> remember who did? It's a great one, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. Uh, and the the right to speak your opinion as a U.S. citizen and to attempt to persuade others to to vote like you is not the same as the ability to spend money on campaign activity in accordance with mm-hmm. US laws. And so knowing that difference and saying, okay, even just existing laws, there there are ways we can use data and algorithms to look at the ads that are being bought, who's being targeted, how they're engaging with it, make predictions about where the most likely problems are, and at least flag them for human review before they go live, right? There's all kinds of things we can do like that to use the same data and the same science is being used to manipulate us to detect it, to mitigate it, to head it off at the pass and to constantly get better as that process iterates. And we get feedback from did the results work or not. Right. Um, and it's platforms are doing some of these things, like encouraging people to vote. They found they could get people to vote by showing more messages, say I voted today. And that seems a little like weird manipulation. And, and that study went to pass the internal review board at any university when they, when they did it. But, um, and it shows the power of a platform like Facebook to influence the vote because they could target anyone with that. Right. Right. They have an interest <laughs> in who gets elected, especially with the public fights between Zuckerberg and was with Warren right now. Right. They have an interest in, in the election. Um, are they going to go in favor of democracy in favor of their bottom line and you know like what are they going to choose like they're going to choose something there is no neutral decision here right because right? you ha- you're you're making a decision even inaction is a decision because right. it's a decision in favor of the status quo so what decision are they going to make like that's a question and the fact that they have that power that that we are asking that question like that's a problem <laughs> mm. and but but again like with the right partnership between platforms and government and researchers like we we could come up with some really Um, Good models for how to ensure that the 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 principles and the laws that are set forward and election regulations and campaign finance laws, um, national security laws and everything are enacted on the platforms in ways that do not involve government surveillance of innocent citizens. And, you know, like there are are ways to work at that if we get the right people working together in good faith and putting their heads together, like we can make big steps. Yeah.
0: So, before I get to the the my last question about what we can kind of do as individuals or or collectively as a society maybe, but i've got to ask what what do you think about Twitter deciding basically not allow political ads anymore. And the, the funny thing was, is I, this is obviously a shot across the bow of Facebook cause they, they announced Absolutely. this right before Facebook had their earnings call. So, you know, making sure that Zuckerberg was, you know, was going to get questions about this, but you know, obviously it doesn't help with, you know, the fake accounts and you know, the people actually reposting things. But do you think that that was that a, was that a good move? was that a move in the right direction.
1: So yeah, so it's, it's a move in the right direction. That was definitely motivated by things that are irrespective to democracy. Mm, mm-hmm. um, right. But if it's, if it's enough of a step in the right direction that we stop taking steps, it's bad. Mm. If it's a first step in the right direction or, yeah. or an, another step in the right direction, because they, they've made others. Um, right. But if it's a step in the right direction and we don't stop, we don't slow down. Um, but if anything, use it as a springboard to speed up, um, then, then yes, it can be good. Now, like, like you said, and we talked about earlier. Uh, the, the, the paid advertisements, these are just sponsored posts, and, and the most influential posts and the most insidious operations uh, have them as a minority of their activity. And it's, it's the, the quote-unquote organic posts, like the regular posts from, from fake accounts or, or from real accounts that are, are, are working um, in underhanded ways or in coordination that is not transparent that we would consider unethical or, or represent foreign campaign activity. Uh, in the United States, uh, or honestly, American campaign activity in other countries, <laughs> mm, uh, researchers yeah. saw this in the, the Ireland abortion referendum yeah. last summer, where they uh, Google and Facebook, I believe, both banned foreign ad money for that referendum at some point because most of the ad money being spent was coming from the U.S., Canada, and the United Kingdom, <laughs> and and then they say, "Oh, you're censoring conservatives." I'm like, "Well, if you're <sighs> censoring only one side with a move that's just..." You can't be from outside the country to buy an ad for this vote. Right. Maybe that's a sign that something is, is, is amiss in the way the election is currently going, or the, or the referendum is currently going, and, and we do need to address it differently. But the bottom line was it was illegal uh, activity, yeah. and they said we're not, we're not going to take that money anymore. And, but, but I think those kind of situations where the platforms you know start saying if it's illegal, we're, you can't do it, um, even if it requires a little work from them to do that filtering, like that's another step but um ultimately political ads alone are not the problem and mm. or, or or a small part of it and um it needs to be just one of many steps right all
0: right so last question which is usually the I I end these discussions to try to end on summary of hope but so what what as individuals could we be doing or maybe collectively um do help this situation to make things better, Uh, you know, everything from, you know, should we be focusing on things like critical thinking and logic in, you know, classes in our, in our, in our K through 12, uh, should, you know, should we as individuals make conscious choices, you know, not to do certain things or to, to make ourselves do certain things. What, what can we do as, as humans knowing what we know now to, to, to try to make the situation better?
1: Yeah. So I, I think those, those are good things. Absolutely. Um, we're, we're not going to solve the next election with education. We might do that in 10 to 20 years. Right. Right. Um, so that definitely needs to be something that we do, but also we can't put this all on teachers. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like not only are they overburdened, but they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, experts when it comes to things like critical thinking, but not necessarily like web literacies and digital literacies mm. and national security and political messaging. And so, uh, there needs to be some partnership there, like for those big things. There, there needs to be partnership between mm, educators, yep, platforms, yep. researchers, government. Like we, we parents. We, so we've got to advocate for that. Yeah. And we've got to prioritize that. Yeah. Like you mentioned parenting, like, you know, like that doesn't necessarily mean blocking stuff from your kids. So there are contexts when I think that's, that's appropriate, especially at younger ages, but certainly talking through it with yeah. them and modeling good behavior on the more immediate end, I you know, there are some simple things like, you know, don't tweak from bed. Uh, mm. you know, like like be conscious of your unconscious biases that are creeping into these things. Uh, the big thing is if you notice yourself about to tap that screen or or click that mouse with some emotional charge, mm. that should be the sign to to step yeah. back. a little bit of mindfulness here, like kind of watching yourself right. like, oh, that is that makes me so angry. And and before you hit share, at least read the thing, Um, but, but also, you know, think a little bit about it, recognize that that's, it's that stuff. It's the way disinformation is laundered through regular people's activity becomes misinformation, you know, accidental sharing of things. But the, the best disinformation operations are ones in which most of us are unwitting participants and that information can be laundered. Through our activity, and so, so and knowing that that that's not just about the Russians, the Iranians, the NSA, the CIA, the you know wh- whatever, and, and it's not even just about Republicans, Democrats. That's just about like how we're wired. Yeah. And so being aware of the fact that we we all have unconscious biases, we all have prejudices. Um, that doesn't mean we're horrible people. Um right. It means yeah. we're human. Right. And this is part of what it means to be human, and so it's part of part of what it means to be a responsible member of a democratic society is to recognize those limitations and do at least something small about it. And And so it could be, you know, you take the apps off your phone so that you reduce some of that knee jerk reaction mm-hmm. to just go to them all the time when you're bored and let yourself think a little bit. Yeah. Um, it could be, don't get news from the TV anymore. Um, you subscribe to something in print where you know that it's all curated by an editor and there's the, the the, the targeting of the advertising is like, I live in this state and I subscribe to this newspaper, right, right. <laughs> you know? And, and so you have a chance to slow down and maybe save them all for the week and just read them all on the weekend. Say like, if it doesn't matter to me now, <laughs> mm. like it, it didn't really matter on Monday or maybe take a break from the news. Cause the news is susceptible to this too. Oh yeah. Right? Read, read books. Um, you know, I know a few good ones, right? Um, <laughs> you know, or, or read publications that come out once a month or once a quarter that are are deeper and hold a higher bar for what's worth talking about when it comes to news um you know there's just a lot of little things like that that i think we don't always think of Um, or maybe we do but we think they're harder than they are Catherine price wrote a great book how to break up with your phone it's like a (laughs) 30-day thing you know a, a little bit each day and the idea is not to get rid of your smartphone but to have a better relationship with it like to have it used for things that are you know, because they are really useful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it could be very helpful. But to say, like, I'm going to use it for this and this. I'm not going to use it for that just because it's there. You know, that deliberateness, that mindfulness. Right. Um, that's that's all, uh, you know, really important. Um, or you know what else? Like, go for a run and leave your phone at home. Mm. Just like, I, I love, my like, I, I can't do these, like, relaxing things to kind of clear my mind of all this crud out there. Like, I, I got to go like, you know, punch a bag or (laughs) kick a ball or run a few miles. Like I've got to do something hard and, and, you know, like figure out what that thing is for yourself that allows you that whatever escape you need or or whatever, just resetting of your, your mind that you need so that when you sit down in front of the news or, or whatever, yeah, or maybe you say, you know, like, I'm just going to call my mom now, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like whatever, like, like something that helps you clear your head. Um, rather than fill it with stuff that you aren't going to care about in a day or two.
0: Well, that's some really good advice. Uh, You've given us a lot to think about uh, and a couple of great suggestions for books to read in addition to your own. Of course, Uh, I'll be sure to put links to all of that stuff in the show notes. And Chris, thanks so much for coming on the
1: show. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is a great combo. Let's let's do it again. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, we'll definitely do that.
0: So as I was doing the interview and go back and editing the interview, I thought about a couple things that I might throw out. And he was talking about how, you know, we might want to, you know, tone down the screen time, you know, pull ourselves away from these devices that we're constantly looking at that are soaking up all of our attention and, you know, it just take some time to let our minds drift and think and, and maybe do something that's not, you know, constant stimulation Uh, so if you happen to have an iPhone and there may be similar things for Android, I'm not familiar with, but if you happen to have an iPhone, they have a, an app called screen time that you can actually go into. And if nothing else, you can get a weekly report on how you're spending your time on your device, you know, which things you're looking at the most, how much time you spend on it. And then if you want, if you want to take that to the next level, if you want to kind of, you know, ratchet things back and force yourself to not look at your device so much, you can actually do some limits on yourself as well. So if that interests you at all, uh, or even, if, you know, if nothing else, it's just be able to see what you've done. I, you know, I recommend you maybe turn on the weekly report and you can kind of see how you spend your time on your device. And then you can make a decision whether or not you want to you change that. You want to actively make sure that you're not doing quite so much time on your devices. And, of course, thanks again to Chris Schaeffer for coming on the show. Uh, it was a really interesting interview. I had a really great time with that. And the, and the book is great, by the way. So uh, definitely check out Data versus Democracy and uh, he did mention a couple other books that i i will put in the show notes uh, one of them i think was um, weapons of math destruction it's a very clever name uh, and then automating inequality um i've i've already heard of actually weapons of math destruction i've been looking at that one for a while anyway so i'll definitely have to pick that one up uh and the other one i hadn't heard of but it looks good too so anyway uh there's that i also want to recommend since we talked about the election and things uh, in cambridge analytica check out the netflix documentary the great hack if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend that one as well. Um, it's, I think it could have been a little bit better. I think it focused a little bit too much on some of the people and not so much what happened. But nevertheless, it's definitely worth checking out. So that, that's on Netflix. If you've got that, that's free. Uh, highly recommend you check that out sometime soon. Again, we got a really big show coming up for you next week, a big new show. And we'll talk about the best and worst gifts, my annual guide to the, the gifts that from a privacy and a security angle, uh, which a lot of gift guides, of course, don't cover. So we're going to check that out. And, uh, you know, happy Thanksgiving, uh, for those in the U.S. I know that Canada has already so- celebrated this and other areas of the, the world celebrated different times. But for those of you in the U S and happen to celebrate Thanksgiving next week, happy Thanksgiving, hope you have a great time with, with your family and you don't get into politics too awful much because <laughs> it's, I know right now it's a very touching subject. So maybe just leave that one aside, leave that at the doorstep. There are a lot of, uh, great organizations out there that are fighting for your rights every day. And I actually wrote an article how to, about uh, how to give thanks and donate to some of those great organizations. So uh, if you'd like to take this opportunity to support some of those things, like the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the Center for Democracy and Technology and some of these others, uh, go to my website and look for, uh, search on thanks uh, or donate. I'm sure you'll find the article pretty quickly uh, that gives you some ideas of some great places you can donate with links on uh, that'll take you right to their donate sites. And I just, you know, generally, as always, I encourage you to, support these groups in these efforts, uh, because they're really doing some fantastic work and they're, um, they're doing it every day for all of us. So, um, it's really nice to, to, to reach out and give this and give them some money. And that's going to wrap up our show. So as always, uh, subscribe. So you don't miss any episodes. If you get a chance, I'd love to get an extra, uh, four or five star review. That would be wonderful. And with the holidays coming up, maybe if you're giving someone, you know, a new computer or something electronic or whatever this might be a great time to oh i don't know give them firewalls don't stop dragons uh to help them uh, to guard their security and privacy so that'll do it and until next week take care everybody and don't get caught with the drawbridge down